True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Infield and outfield tiers are out of the way. Next up, starting pitchers. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank, Scott, and Chris here on Monday, January 29th. Today on the show, we are going to focus mostly on starting pitcher tiers, but We also had some news. The Tigers extended one of their top prospects, Colt Keith, plus some reliever signings. So we'll get to that a little bit later on. Obviously, this is a baseball podcast, but I think we can all agree the Super Bowl, kind of a big deal. And the Super Bowl is set. The Chiefs and the 49ers. Chris, do you have a strong lean either way? I know you spent a large majority of your year covering football. I think the 49ers are the better team. I think they've been the best team all year, but the Ravens were better than the chiefs and it didn't matter. Cause like, it just seems dumb to bet against Patrick Mahomes at this point. Right. He's lost like two playoff games in his life. I think. Right. Am I, am I getting the, the math there? Correct. Seems right. Yeah. He's made five super bowls. He's lost two. I guess he got eliminated. So he's lost three playoff games in his life. It's a pretty good record. So I, I think I would pick the chiefs, even though I think the 49ers are the better team. Should be a lot of fun. Shout out to both fan bases, the Chiefs and the 49ers in the Super Bowl. But most people here don't really care about football. So let's talk about starting pitcher tiers. Offense was up in 2023. Pitchers were more unpredictable than in recent years. Scott, you are up. Mm -hmm. What did you value most when ranking starting pitchers? And uh, what factored into creating these tiers entering 2024? Well, I I feel like you teed me up for a question you already know the answer to. What I focused on most was strikeouts because this is is my rationale. All right. So if if you can think back to your experience of, of 2023 with starting pitching, it was endlessly frustrating, right? Because even if you had... A good pitcher. It didn't seem to matter. Good pitcher, bad pitcher, medium pitcher, whatever. You could never be sure when they were going to deliver this disaster start where they give up like eight runs and wreck your ERA. And it it, it almost felt like a random number generator through, the, through all the ranks of pitching, but especially that very giant mid-range of pitching. Uh, I, I kind of feel like where their ERAs ended up was just a matter of how much time they had to correct or not correct whatever disaster start came uh, leading up to the to the end of the season. 
And so I don't want to have to trust an ERA and WHIP. I want to put all my investment in strikeouts because that is the one thing you can trust a pitcher to do, as long as he's healthy, of course, at the same rate. If if a pitcher's a strikeout pitcher, you know he's going to give you strikeouts. ERA, WHIP, who knows in this environment where they'll end up. But if, if, if he's a strikeout pitcher, he's going to give you strikeouts. And because I feel like what's contributing to this uncertainty, this volatility at starting pitching is the new offensive environment we find ourselves in where there are more base runners, there's more action on the bases, and when there's more base runners, when there's more actioning happen on the bases, pitchers are forced to keep up the tempo unlike they ever were before. That's what's causing these kind of snowball outings. The best way to prevent the runners from getting on in the first place is to just strike them all out. So just by happenstance, targeting strikeouts in the way I'm trying to is likely to give you a better ERA and whip. But that's a secondary reason. The main reason is just I want to invest in the thing I can actually trust in at starting pitcher. So at least in categories leagues, five by five leagues, rotisserie leagues, however you want to say it, at least in that scoring format, I have elevated strikeout pitchers in a way that might feel unnatural at certain points. And I would also say that those category leagues rankings versus the points rankings, there's more difference than ever for me at starting pitcher between those two scoring formats because you know you could you could you can accept a disaster start a little easier in a head-to-head league. It's not you're not gonna have to carry the effects of that for the rest of the season. And plus strikeouts aren't worth as much in in that scoring format. So that's I think the quickest rundown I can give of my approach to starting pitcher this year and how it differs from past years. Before we get into the actual tiers, Chris, I know that you're working on an article where you're focusing on what you needed to win each category Mm -hmm. last year, right? So in particular, ERA and WHIP, I know you mentioned that they were uh, up from previous years. What do you have on on the ratio stats? Yeah, so the the last year that I have this data for, unfortunately, it's 2021. I didn't do it for 2022, so I don't have that data. But comparing 2023 to 2021, ERA was up. Uh, the the best team in ERA in 2021 in a 12-team standard CBS Fantasy League had a 3.28 ERA. Last year, the best team had a 3.456. 3.456. That's fun. Uh, WHIP was also up 1.1 in 2021 for the number one team to 1.53. Not gigantic, but like probably a quarter of a run in ERA. One point one five three, right? Uh, yeah. What I say, one point five three. Yeah, 1. I was 1. like, 1. 5, 3, yeah. that would be a really bad top whip in a league. Um, <laughs> You're going so out like, to like an extra decimal place that we're never <laughs> we never really acknowledge normally. So, he, so here's the the but like I think this puts it into context is that the the average sixth and seventh place teams we'll just put them together. Uh, in 2021, the average sixth and seventh place teams had uh, 377 and 384 ERA. So that was middle of the road for fantasy. Last year, 394 and 399 was sixth and seventh place. So, like a four ERA pitcher in 2023 wasn't hurting you in fantasy. That's a that's a legitimately new thing, you know, relative to where we've been the past couple of years. And it's weird because scoring was up, but it wasn't up so much that like you would think it we drastically need to change, you know, the way we think about fantasy baseball. But like over the past 10 years, 2023 had the fourth highest ERA. 2022 had the second lowest. So, you know, there there is this is for starting pitchers. So, you know, th- that's there was a four a, a four tenths of a run difference between the average starting pitcher ERA in 2023 and the average starting pitcher ERA in 2022. And now the thing you have to keep in mind is the average for the league and average for a fantasy league are always going to be different, right? Yeah. They're going to be better for fantasy because we're not, you know, we're hopefully not telling you to draft the worst pitchers in the league and they're being removed from the sample size. But even still last year, you know, we, we do have to rethink some of our perce- perceptions about what is or isn't a good fantasy option in a way that 
feel stable. Finally, right? Like we don't know if they're going to change the baseball, but it sounds like they've hopefully standardized the production practices and they're not doing anything specific that we know of yet and won't know until the games are played. But hopefully they aren't doing anything to change it. The rule changes that went into place last year are also in effect for the first time for two years in a row. So hopefully the crazy jumps that we've seen in the fantasy landscape over the last decade, hopefully we're reaching a position of stasis. Hopefully. The key words there, Chris, that we're aware of. So yes, hopefully we get some data during spring training. I mean, that they're aware of, frankly, because yeah. as we know, it, it may not be intentional as well. So, yeah, it looks to be stable. We'll see where yeah. we're at, you know, come spring training and obviously the first couple of months of the season as well. Let's get into Scott's starting pitcher tiers. These are live on the site. You can find them cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. The first tier includes two names and they are the first rounders, Spencer Strider and Garrett Cole, just to further establish this tier. If you take a look at ADP, Spencer Strider is going at 8.4, Garrett Cole at 13.6. The next closest starting pitcher is Corbin Burns down at 26.3. So that is a huge drop, Scott, which obviously agrees with your breakdown here of the first tier, the first rounders. These two are kind of in a class of their own, Strider and Garrett Cole. Yeah, I mean, Strider, I think, just looking at last year's numbers, he finished 44 strikeouts ahead of the number two pitcher. He finished three wins ahead of the number two pitcher. The ERA was on the high side, but the ERA across the league was on the high side. And um, I believe before his final four or five starts, his ERA was 40 points lower. So he kind of finished on a down note there, did Strider, not necessarily expecting him to finish with that high of an ERA again. He was one of the biggest underachievers by all the ERA estimators. So I don't think you should hold his ERA against him. Obviously, I'm not putting a lot of stock in ERA in general. So that's why Strider's up here. And Garrett Cole, just because of sheer reliability, he's actually coming off one of his worst seasons, probably his worst season since he first joined the Astros. His strikeout numbers were way down. His swinging strikes were way down. He finally got a Cy Young out of it. Because yeah, I mean, that's of kind of the irony. Yeah. yeah, but um, he just... I, I I do wonder a little bit if we're whistling past the graveyard here with Garrett Cole, just because it happened to work out that he didn't have some of the uh, the issues that um, other high end starters had, even even though his strikeout numbers were down, and, and maybe that was just happenstance. Keep using that word, but um, you know, I, I it, it's it's hard even within the elite ranks of starting pitchers to feel like you have something you can trust in. And so just by track record, I think Garrett Cole deserves that. I, I will say, I also wonder if we might be writing Garrett Cole off as an elite strikeout pitcher too early, right? It's a, it's a one-year thing. And so that's that's the thing I want to keep. That's, that's also partially why... I agree he belongs in the top tier. I think he, him and Strider, it's a 1A, 1B. I, I'll take Strider first, but I, I don't want to speak with too much certainty about Garrett Cole's strikeouts because I'm not sure we have like a great explanation for, I'm, I'm sure somebody smarter than me has a good explanation for why his strike, but like his swinging strike rates just kind of collapsed on all of his pitches, even though the, you know, pitch characteristics weren't that different. His velocity was down about a mile per hour. So maybe that's just it. Maybe it's just that explanation. But we've seen enough of like Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer and these Hall of Fame type pitchers. And I think Garrett Cole absolutely is putting himself in that conversation that don't think that a dip in the road is the start of a downhill. You know, it, it might just be a, you know, a one-time drop, or it could be that he's just no longer an elite strikeout pitcher. But I, I think there, there might be a little too much certainty. Just like this time a year ago, there was probably too much certainty that Garrett Cole was not going to help your ERA. And all of a sudden, his ERA is a, a, a run lower in 2023 than it was in 2022. 
All right, let's slide over to the also elite tier, which features five names. Kevin Gosman, Zach Wheeler, Corbin Burns, Luis Castillo, and Zach Gallen. These are the next five in ADP as well. So you, Scott, your rankings and tiers are so far in lockstep with ADP. Uh, and these names range from picks 26 through 39. So early third round pick in a 12-team league into the middle of the fourth round. Scott, any concern with Corbin Burns? Because we've now seen the strikeout rate and the walk rate trending in opposite directions. His K per nine went from 12.6 in 2021 to 10.8 in 2022, down to 9.3 in 2023. Swinging strike rate basically in conjunction with that drop in strikeout rate as well. We did see some uh, velocity drops from Corbin Burns as well last year. Any concern with uh, some of these dips from Corbin Burns? I would say... Burns and Cole kind of have the same concern there where, okay, they, they still pitched well. They still pitched like aces, particularly mm-hmm. for the environment we were in. But, but yeah, they're, they're the, the dominance numbers that they used to excel in were, were kind of middle of, of the road, the swinging strike rate, the caper nine. Although that Burns, did, Burns turned that around in the second right. half. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, remember his velocity was down early in the year. In the second half, he had 10.2 K per nine mm-hmm. uh, and only a 271 ERA. So he he got stronger as the year went on. And so that's why I'm not inclined to say, oh, Burns is a bus candidate this year. Uh, Burns doesn't belong in the also elite tier. I think did a lot to relieve my own concerns, at least, uh, as the season played out. That, the only thing I would just, the vibes are kind of weird with Corbin Burns, right? Like, it, it's not clear if he wants to be traded, if they're going to, like, it, it, that, that, like, human side of it is unknowable, but there's part of that. You know, I don't know if, like, that's suddenly why he started pitching better in the second half because he didn't get traded, but, like, that's one other unknown that that you know hangs above his head yeah i know burns and the brewers last year they kind of got into it last se- uh, off season because yes. they went to arbitration and obviously that's always kind of a messy process now corbin burns entering a contract year has been subject to trade rumors but as of now still on the brewers we'll see where he's at on opening day what's interesting about this tier is gosman wheeler burns castillo gallon those are the five mm-hmm. pitchers again i think it's less likely that they're actually going to occupy this this space in between the tier ahead of them and the tier below them than that some of them are going to be as basically as valuable as Strider and Cole, and some of them are going to be more like the tier behind them. So mm-hmm. it's more of like a the distinction between these names and the and the tier below them is more more of a confidence a measure of confidence than in a measure of upside. And so it's kind of, it's kind of a misleading tier in that way. If that makes sense. All right, let's slide over to the near elite with fe- which features 11 names, Tyler glass. Now Tarek Skubal, Blake Snell, who still remains a free agent, Pablo Lopez, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, Kodai Senga, Freddie Peralta, Logan Webb, Aaron Nola, Framber Valdez and Cole Reagans. That's right. Cole Reagans. Senga and Peralta are one tier lower in a head-to-head points league. They both offer big strikeout rates, but not the most efficient pitchers. And then Nola and Valdez are one tier lower in a categories league. Um, Wouldn't surprise me if Yamamoto was also a little better in Roto than points, just because it's it's going to be his first time pitching on a five-man rotation. And I, I think it's just, it's always fair to have some innings concerns about pitchers making the jump from Japan. Yeah, well, the Dodgers are talking about a six-man rotation. Yeah. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition, if they actually follow these uh, reports that are out there right now. Uh, but yes, it, I, we could see a transition period here from uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. This is obviously such an interesting tier of diverse skill sets, which spans uh, rounds four through ten, so pretty big. Um, range within the draft as well. Scott, are you okay, okay with all 11 of these names as your SP1? Obviously, it's different ranges. It could be anywhere from you know rounds four. I think in the drafts that we do, like Cole Reagans is probably going to be a sixth or seventh round pick, but mm-hmm. uh, are you okay yeah. with all these names as your potential SP1? I mean, 
And that's a change I made in the tiers recently was to, I, I actually had Cole Reagan's more toward the front of this tier and I dropped him to the very end of this tier because I felt like even having him at the end of this tier, I'd probably be able to draft him everywhere. I know I'm higher on him than the consensus. But to answer your question, yes. Yes, I'd be comfortable with any of these as my ace. Uh, now, if the comfort level might be slightly different depending on the pitcher. Like if, if Glass now is the first pitcher I draft, knowing the likelihood of him missing a third of the season at least, then I probably need to draft, like need to be extra sure to draft another pitcher from this tier. I want two pitchers from this tier anyway, uh, particularly if I don't get a, you know, if I get a, if I get a pitcher from a tier above them, then I don't necessarily need to. But as a general rule, I would like two pitchers from this first of the large, larger tiers. But yeah, I, I see them all as potential aces. I mean, you read off the names, you get what I was talking about. Blake Snell, obviously reigning Cy Young winner. I, I don't think it would surprise anybody if he was as good as Corbin Burns again or Pablo Lopez. Yeah, that's uh, Pablo had, had excellent numbers too. Where I I actually have Pablo ranked ahead of, uh, sorry Zach Allen, who yeah, I think there's some kind of in similar ish injury concerns where like there's just li- like lingering doubts from a couple of years ago in both cases Pablo with the shoulder, Gallon with the elbow, and I just think Pablo was better last year in a, in a way that I trust more, even though obviously it's a one one year sample size of him pitching at that level. And I think there's regression risk for both of them. Uh, but I, I, I would have Pablo higher than, than gallon at least. So the, the top four pitchers, I think I have this right. I'm going off memory here, but the top four pitchers in expected ERA XERA last year were in some order, Spencer Strider, Zach Wheeler, Pablo Lopez, and oh, now I'm not sure of the fourth one. I'd have to look it up. But, yeah, like Gallon's expected ERA was a run higher than Pablo's. So those those top four in expected ERA, they all underperformed their expected mm-hmm. ERA by like 40 points. So I, I'm bringing that this up because I'm saying basically, okay, Pablo Lopez was one of them. So you look at the ERA, it might scare you away but he was an, an underachiever in terms of, of how that goes. He, he deserved better, to put it another way. But because that was consistent with the top four pitchers in expected ERA, it does make you wonder, or at least maybe it kind of underscores the point I was making earlier, where ERA is just a more difficult contribution to trust right now, given the volatility of the environment and the, the the snowball effect that we saw at starting pitcher so often last year. If you look at qualified starting pitchers, Scott, the top four in expected ERA were Pablo Lopez, Spencer Strider, Zach Eflin, and Zach Wheeler. Yeah, Eflin was the fourth. And they were yeah. all like between 35 and 60 points. Now, what's really interesting oh, is if you lower the threshold to 250 balls in play, which is the way Baseball Savant does their sorting, which I... I think it's kind of silly, but whatever. You get, you get a bunch of relievers in there, yeah. Well, no, if you lower it to 250, it's still almost all starters. It's all starters. But Joe Musgrove jumps into the top four, and he had no difference between his ERA and XERA, which is just weird because you would expect the smaller sample size to be where the noise is, and I don't quite know what to make of any of this. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take our first break. When we return, we'll get into uh, the next best things tier and the rest at starting pitcher right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. 
And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome back in. Let's talk next best things tier, which features nine names. Max Freed, George Kirby, Justin Steele, Kyle Bradish, Joe Musgrove, Walker Bueller, Jesus Lozardo, Zach Eflin, and Logan Gilbert. What's interesting about both this tier and the previous tier, this tier also spans rounds four through ten. So I guess it's interesting just to see which pitchers got kind of has ranked higher and lower based on these tiers. Uh, but nonetheless... Strikeouts. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm lower on George Kirby than most everybody mm-hmm. else because he doesn't get that big strikeout, those big strikeout numbers. And which, what's interesting is I think the, the reason people who are so high on Kirby are so high on Kirby is because they think he's going to break through mm-hmm. as a big strikeout pitcher. But... I don't know. Like with as many big strikeout pitchers as already exist, that seems like too big of a leap for me. So I'm going to tier him a little bit lower and probably not draft him anywhere because of that. I can live with it. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know. These, these pitchers all have obviously the capacity to perform like aces. Justin Steele essentially was one last year. Zach Eflin essentially was Mm -hmm. one last year, even though he underperformed his expected ERA as we just covered. But because strikeouts aren't a big part of their games, I am, I'm not going to be as comfortable. They're not going to, if, if they have bad ERA luck, it's harder to overcome. And, and they're not, because like you can look at Framber Valdez and Aaron Nola from the previous tier and say, well, they're not great strikeout guys. The difference there is I feel pretty comfortable projecting Aaron Nola and Tarek Scoop or uh, sorry, Framber Valdez for 195 to 200 innings. So like I think they'll brute force their way to 200 strikeouts. And I'm I'm actually fine drafting either of those guys as kind of my who are the two Aaron Nola and Framber Valdez. I, I, I like those guys as kind of a second anchor. Right. Uh, like my strategy is probably going to be one of Nola and Framber and then a high strikeout per inning guy, whether it's, you know, if I take the Spencer Strider or Garrett Cole plunge at the end of the first or, or early second round or Gosman or Burns or one of those guys, like my strategy is probably to pair a Nola and Framber who there's uncertainty about the, the rate stats, but I think the counting stats, you feel really good about them. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to skip the next best things tier entirely. Okay, so now it it is worth noting that by my tiers, and probably not by ADP, but by my tiers, Nola and Valdez are in the next best things tier in categories leagues. We we listed them in the near elite tier, but that was only for points leagues and categories leagues. I have them lower. And that was... I was a little torn with Nola, especially because you can count on him for big strikeout numbers, yeah. uh, 200 to 220 a year be- because of the volume he takes on. And, you know, even on a per inning basis, he's a pretty good strikeout pitcher. Mm-hmm. But it's just two of the last three years he's yeah. had an ERA in the 450 range. And so maybe I'm putting too much stock in that the other way. Uh, but I think given the high cost and how high high end we're talking here i just i just rather played a little safe with somebody who's had that much trouble to the last 3 years all right let's slide over to the fallback options which includes seven names yuri perez bobby miller grayson rodriguez tanner bybee merrill kelly mitch keller and justin verlander just visually reading Merrill Kelly and Mitch Keller back to back is just kind of confusing because you want to like mix their names up. They just they look so similar with the MKs there. Anyway, this is the final <laughs> tier before we get to 
the glob. And we do yep, see the young upside names here in Perez, Miller, Rodriguez, and Bybee. They're paired with some some veterans and Kelly and Verlander, Mitch Keller. Just kind of chilling on his own, I guess, in this tier. I, he didn't really fit a category for me. But um, how many pitchers, Scott, do you want at this point in the draft before we get to the glob? This is the final tier before the glob. How many starting pitchers do you ideally want by the time we get to fallback options? Got to have four. Got to have four. Be great if I could have five. Uh, that's got to be harder in 15-team leagues, I understand. Most of the audience doesn't play in 15-team leagues, but it is worth pointing that out. You may have to sacrifice more hitting than you can justify to get four from what is basically the top 35 in my rankings, my starting pitcher rankings. But, you know, the glob is the glob. And I've, I, I, we've been talking all offseason, really even before last season ended, about where that cutoff for the glob is, where it begins. And I guess I'm committing now. It begins after Justin Verlander. And I still don't think that's a firm distinction. I look at some of those pitchers at the top of the glob, and I'm like, I kind of like him. But I think from a, a an assurance standpoint, you have to treat the glob as starting right after this group because it just gets so much riskier after these guys go off the board. I want two. I want two by this point. Only two. Yeah, you are comfortable swimming in the glob. My my <laughs> approach and and historic data tends to support this thesis that starting pitchers in the first four or so rounds are really really good bets historically, and then after that, there's really not historically that much difference between a seventh round pitcher and a twelfth round pitcher. And there's historically not that much difference between a 12th round pitcher and an 18th round pitcher. Like, obviously, the early guys tend to be better, but the hit rates, the miss rates, the it, it all tends to be a lot closer once you get out of the early rounds in a way that, like, I might just steal Ben Gretsch's thunder and write an, art, an SP Dead Zone article, which I've tinkered with in the past, but... If you're familiar with fantasy football, there's an idea of the RB dead zone, which has changed because people have changed the way they pit, they draft. But historically, it's like the first two, maybe three rounds of running backs are can't miss. They're they're guys who have done 300 touches. They're guys who have passing game roles. They're in good odds. Like everything you look for, they've they've done it. They've proven it. Or they're elite prospects. Whatever. After that is when it's like, well, I guess this guy used to be good, and maybe he'll or like. That's the theory is that the the value on running backs in rounds three through 10 tends to be not great. Mm-hmm. And historically, starting pitcher has been very, very similar, even though the landscape has changed. And I'll have to do the research again when I when I get to the point in, in where I'm writing my starting pitcher preview. But I'm mm-hmm. operating under the assumption that it didn't change that much. And, and you can see uh, wow. Ariel Cohen's done some really good uh, research on this as well, using auction values. But basically... The high, high-end guys are, are worth the investment. After that, starting pitcher is, is, is very much a random number generator. And so my, well, my I, approach I, but, is... But for a long time, for at least a decade, mm-hmm. the aces were like super aces. And so I think that's polluted the data because you look at the aces now... The aces last year were not super aces. I mean, that, sure. those were but, some but it's also Cy Young winners historically. You don't want to get caught fighting last year's the, the, you know the 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 you don't want to fight the last war if you don't believe right? in the landscape change okay but i like i i i can only go on especially when there are rule changes to support it i i can only go on what i've last seen i mean um if, and, and if I, this is the new environment. I think this is the best way to approach it. And, you know, I, I acknowledge the risk of investing in pitching. That's why you need more of them. And I would rather, because I don't think there's like a tier of super races out there, I would rather um, draft four pitchers who are on the verge of ace who have the upside of aces, than take two of guys who I assume are aces and then 
end up burning me. The funny thing is, if you go back to like 2018 SP preview discussions, we're, we're having the same debate, even though the landscape has changed. Um, well, I was I was spending more on pitching then. Yeah, but no, but I do want to be clear. Like when I say I want two starting pitchers in the first four rounds, like that will never be Tyler Glass now. And it will probably never be Tarek Scoobal or Cole Reagans or, or like it's probably going to be, like I said, an Aaron Nola type who might be a little more boring, but who I can also count on for that, that hopefully not disastrous ERA because last year was obviously yeah. really bad. But like if it's a three, five, three, six ERA, not elite, but it comes with 210 strikeouts and 200 innings and really stabilizes and allows me to stream more comfortably or take more of those flyers on the upside guys later in, in the, the draft, you know, I, if my hope is I have 295 inning, 200 plus strikeout guys to anchor my staff. And that gives me the freedom to not take another starting pitcher until round 12, you know, like that. I think that's still the way I want to approach it. Obviously, I've only done a couple of drafts so far, so we'll see how my mm-hmm. thoughts change as I do more because it may just not be worth taking Aaron Nola and Garrett Cole. It just might not be worth whatever that costs, and, and I might have to shift. But right now, at least in theory, that's my preference. It's time to get into the glob. The next tier is named the start of the glob, and it features 18 names, which I will not read off at this moment. We'll go in groups of six. I'll read them off in just a little bit. But Scott, for those that are just kind of getting back into fantasy baseball and and picking up podcasts, maybe this is the first time they've ever heard the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Remind those what the glob is and why it starts here in particular. So the glob are just pitchers that you can't trust, basically. They are the ones most susceptible to this environment I laid out at the top of the show, where from start to start, it just feels like a random number generator, what they're going to give you. They're not dominant enough overall to transcend the glob, to to verge on ace production, but they'll fake it just long enough to lure you into the glob and swallow you up into it and wreck your team's ERA when you least expect it. Um, So I think of the glob as just this huge interchangeable, this huge mass of interchangeable pitchers where it doesn't so much matter who in particular you target from the glob. Mm -hmm. Like this is the stretch of the pitching rankings where it's like, all right, if I haven't filled out my pitching staff already, there's no point. There's no point. I'm I'm probably going to be exchanging half these guys for for streamables off the waiver wire over the course of the season anyway. This is where. So the way it kind of um, the blueprint I follow for drafts this year is basically first two or three rounds hitters because those are like MVP caliber bats, and then grab as many pitchers as I can before we enter the glob, and then once we're in the glob, pivot back to bats because there's just not. There's just not enough uh, assurances to be found here in the glob. I mentioned there were 18 names in this tier, the start of the glob. And again, I'll go in groups of six. And first up, we have Dylan Cease, Gavin Williams, Chris Sale, Michael King, Joe Ryan, Christian Javier. Chris, who is your favorite from this start of the glob? I'm kind of inclined to say uh, Dylan Cease just to like, you know, be a contrarian because I was out on Dylan C's last year. But I, I think my favorite here is probably Joe Ryan, who we talked a lot about in the rankings difference podcast, I think, two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, he's a top 24 starting pitcher for me. I, I think the the improvements he made last season, I really buy. You know, ERA is a question mark, but I, I think the skill set suggests he's more like a mid-threes ERA guy than a high-fours ERA guy. There are wide error bars in both directions in that, but... I, I think Joe Ryan's probably the one I'm going with. What's interesting about this group of six, and I'll go through the names again, Dylan Cease, Gavin Williams, Chris Sale, Sonny Gray, less so him, uh, Michael King, Joe Ryan, Christian Javier, right? That's where you stopped. Mm-hmm. I didn't All ha- of them. I didn't have Sonny Gray in there, Scott. 
I just I copy and pasted it from the article, so I don't. I don't know. Oh, if maybe there's I a moved Sunny Gray up. Yeah, maybe. Okay. They have the upside to transcend the glob. It's more of a downside case that causes me to reject all of them and put them outside of it. And I'm 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 hedging most on Dylan C's. Obviously, he's at the top of the glob. I I kind of like the value he's at, and so just to get myself more shares of him, I kind of want to tier him with the the previous group and pull him outside of the glob. But that feels intellectually dishonest because he was very globby last year. <laughs> very I, globby. I, I will say, I think he's just Blake Snell. Like maybe that might, might make someone mad, but like, I, and, and, and I very much view him the same way I viewed, I've always viewed Blake Snell where I want to buy the dip and sell the rise. You know, so like I'm much more likely to buy Dylan Cease now that he's not a top 10 starting pitcher in ADP. And I'll add that I like Chris Sale. I have him as one of my sleepers this year. I like the the cost of him. So mm-hmm. it's obviously not universally true that I'm never going to prioritize anybody from this globby tier. You just don't want to have to. You just don't want to be in a position where you have to because that means you're really playing with fire if you're if you're counting on any of these pitchers here as like your number three in fantasy. You you might just be screwed in ERA. They're going to be my number threes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dylan Cease, by the way, has been subject to many trade rumors, but mm-hmm. the latest is the, the price he's is very high and, um, you know, he's quote-unquote, you know, they're... Not going to accept an offer anytime soon, but my guess is he'll either be traded. Uh, he'll be traded at some point this year, if not by opening day, you know, probably uh, by the um, by the trade deadline. The next six includes Hunter Green, Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery, who remains a free agent, Chris Bassett, Jose Barrios, and Shane Bieber. Scott, any hope for Shane Bieber? The ADP all the way down to one seventy five. Strikeout rate plummeted last year. He was limited to twenty one starts due to that dreaded forearm strain. Any hope on a bounce back here for Shane Bieber? No, not really. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of worried I'm ranking him too high more than ranking him too low. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much out on Justin Bieber. Obviously, the velocity drop. Wait, came. you're out on Justin Bieber or Shane Oh, I'm Bieber? out on Justin Bieber too, but I'm, <laughs> I'm out on Shane Bieber. My gosh, I'm an idiot. All right, yeah, I'm out on Shane Bieber. <laughs> The velocity drop came two years ago, and he still had an ace caliber season because his breaking balls were so effective. They were like unnaturally good. And so that made up for him having a terrible fastball. But their effectiveness dropped off last year, and he began to mix in a cutter more that wasn't any sort of bat misser at all. So so everything just plummeted for Bieber last year and I guess it's possible he could regain the effectiveness on those breaking balls but that seems like that seems like a losing bet if that's what you're betting on the fastball obviously coming back don't see that happening and what's interesting about Shane Bieber for as disappointing as he was for everybody who had the displeasure of rostering him last year he was one of the biggest Overachievers yep. by expected ERA. His actual ERA three eighty. His expected ERA four eighty three. And now that's been a pretty consistent factor for him. He, he's pretty much always outperformed his expected ERA in a way that, like, when you do it five years in a row, it's there's probably some skill there. But even then, it, it's I don't think the three eight ERA was bad luck. You know, I, like I think that's yeah. probably around where like the optimistic uh, viewpoint should land on Bieber. And that's just, it's hard to be excited about that. The final six names in this tier, the start of the glob includes Carlos Rodon, you Darvish, Nathan Avaldi, Shane Boz, Nick Pavetta, and Ryan Pepio. This, I mean, I guess mini tier within the tier loaded with upside, you know, Ken Rodon, uh, stay healthy. Can he bounce back? His first year in New York was a disaster. Boz has nasty stuff, but how many innings are we going to get with in Tampa Bay? Pavetta is a popular breakout pick. Pepio was the centerpiece of the Tyler Glass now trade. So uh, within the tier, obviously not so much proven. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we saw some pretty big question marks like with Rodon and a U Darvish. Are these guys healthy? But I, I still think some pretty big upside 
uh, with some of those names as well. Oh yeah, there is. I mean, I like I have put, my breakouts 1.0 comes out. Uh, it might be out by the time you're listening to this. I got I have Pavetta and Pepio in there. Uh, Carlos Rodon, I have as one of my sleepers. You know, he's he's kind of like Dylan Cease. In fact, I'm looking at this now. I'm kind of tempted to move him up my rankings a bit. But it is it is an assurance issue, and it it's it's one of those things where like the tiers have to match the rankings, and I have to rank Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery, Chris Bassett, Jose Barrios. I have to rank them at a certain point ahead of really volatile, but upsidey pitchers like Shane Boz and Nick Pavetta. I think they I think those those risky upsidey pitchers, Boz and Pavetta, they're more likely to transcend the glob than the 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 Chris Bassett's and Jose Barrios's. It's just but they have to they have to be drafted after them. Yeah. Like once we get to April and we see two starts from Shane Boz, it might be like, oh he's a top twenty five starting pitcher. And then we have to remind ourselves that even if he's a top 25 starting pitcher while he pitches, his chances of continuing to pitch are much lower than those guys. And so this is one of those things that's always difficult. And that's kind of why I like getting those two like anchors. That way I can have a little more flexibility and, and prioritize, you know, a, a Shane Boz as like a number five starting pitcher rather than, you know, Oh, well, I need innings, so I guess I'll get Jose Barrios. Like, I don't, I don't want any part of that. Yeah, do with this what, what you will, but Shane Boz, uh, according to projections over on Fangraphs, he's projected anywhere between 90 and 115 innings. Can he exceed that? Sure, it's possible, but again, it's the Rays, and he's coming back from Tommy John. I, I think they're going to play it pretty safe with Shane Boz's upcoming season. One more quick note before we move on. I did. I, I have since since the published version of the tiers came out, I have moved Bailey Ober up into this tier. So he is now a start of glob pitcher as opposed to an end of glob pitcher. I love it. I love it, Scott. I got Bailey Ober coming out in Sleepers 1.0. Again, should be uh, live on the site when the time people are listening to this. The end of the glob, 36 names. Guess what? I'm not reading 36 names, but there are lots of interesting names within this tier. And so I will throw it to you guys your quickest analysis possible. Give me, I don't know, two, three names that stand out from the end of the glob tier that interest you. Uh, Andrew Abbott's on my sleepers. I, I think there are there are paths to success. I think he's got a nice baseline of skills, and it wouldn't take too much tweaking for him to get, you know, I think out of the glob if, you know, if we're looking for that kind of upside. I think... Um, Luis Severino was also one of my sleepers. You know, there's been some talk that he might have been tipping his pitches, which would make sense because, like, the physical characteristics of his pitches didn't change nearly as much as what happened when batters swung at them. And so I'm hoping that there is some possible explanation for why Luis Severino was so bad in a way that wasn't necessarily reflected in the pitch level data. Um, And... I mean, Hunter Brown, I think, is underrated. I think the the final ERA ended up really, really, really bad. But there were there are reasons to be optimistic that he'll be much better than he was last season, that he won't hit the wall the same way he did, hopefully. Uh, I, there are plenty of Nishoto Imanaga. I, I think there's a lot to like about him. The pitch, uh, the Stuff Plus model really, really likes what he did in the World Baseball Classic last year. This is, this is a fun tier. Yeah. I'm going to, like... I don't want my number three starting pitcher to come here, but like I want a bunch of these guys in my SP six to 10, you know, range. Yep. Scott, uh, your two to three names that you're interested in from this tier in a minute or less. Probably not going to be the last time you hear about these guys. Cause they're all sleepers for me. Christopher Sanchez, his 57% ground ball rate would have ranked second among qualifiers. If he had the innings to qualifier, his 4% walk rate would have ranked fourth. And then he started getting a ton of strikeouts to the final month of the season, used his change up more. It had a 43% whiff rate. It gave him a 17% swinging strike rate in the month of September, two 10 strikeout outings, one against the Braves. That's all three legs of the FIP triangle, if he can keep that up. See a, see some upside there for Christopher Sanchez. Emmett Sheehan of the Dodgers, provided they have a spot for him, they go six-man. 
Uh, I'm really impressed by what he did over his final three starts. 198 ERA, 0.73 with 15.8 K per nine. Stopped throwing his fastball so much. Had a 23% swinging strike rate in those final three starts, which may seem like a small sample fluke, but he had a 20% strike swinging strike rate at double A. And uh, I think there's just so much swing and miss potential there with Emmett Sheehan. And then finally, Eric Fetty coming back from Korea, signing with the White Sox. He was the Korean League's equivalent of both the the the, the Cy Young and MVP. Went 20 and six with a two ERA, 209 strikeouts, and 180 and a third innings. So what? It's Eric Fetty, right? Maybe they're just bad at baseball in Korea. Well. He actually completely changed his pitching arsenal before uh, before going over there. White Sox pitching advisor Brian Bannister actually compared it to Logan Webb's arsenal. And Fetty put up some web-like underlying numbers in Korea, especially the 70% ground ball rate, which is just unheard of. And I think uh, I think Eric Fetty's going to be in steal in drafts this year. I agree with you guys on a lot of the names that you mentioned. Sanchez, Imanaga, both of my sleepers 1.0 as well. Two names that you guys haven't mentioned yet that I'm pretty excited about. Brian Wu, who had an amazing fastball last year, a higher swinging strike rate on his four-seam fastball than Spencer Strider's. He has underrated secondary pitches with his cutter and his slider. The Mariners have done great job, a great job developing their starting pitchers as well. And I know some people are probably tired of Aaron Savali, but he kind of reminds me of Zach Eflin from a year ago. Elite curveball, throws 91 to 92 miles per hour with his fastballs. The Rays turned Eflin into a breakout. I see a lot of similarities between those two pitchers. And even if Savali doesn't break out, he's a career 392 ERA and a 115 whip. If I get that in like a deeper league, I, I think that's totally fine from my whatever, SP678, wherever you're going to get Aaron Savali. The Leftovers tier features 38 names, and you can find all of them in Scott's article. SP tiers 1.0 at cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Let's take our final break, and when we return, some news and notes. I do want to talk about Colt Keith, some reliever signings. We'll do that right after this. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back in. Let's wrap up with the latest news and notes. The Tigers signed one of their top prospects, Colt Keith, to a six-year, $28.6 million extension that includes club options for 2030, 2031, and 2032. Last year in the minors, Colt Keith hit 306 with 27 home runs and a 932 OPS. Does not offer any speed whatsoever, but... Some batting average, some power. He did get 67 games in at AAA. And according to Jeff Passan, Keith should be Detroit's opening day second baseman. He's played some third, some second, some DH, but it sounds like he's going to play second base for the Tigers. Scott, as of now, Keith only has third base eligibility on CBS. How far do you plan on moving him up the rankings, if at all? Should he kind of move up into that Michael Bush, Brett Beatty range of the third base rankings? Yeah, I might put him right between those two, actually, behind Bush and ahead of Beatty. I, th- I think that makes sense. I am, in in terms of Col- Colt Keith as a dynasty asset, what I think his upside is for fantasy, I'm a little bearish on him, mostly because he's going to be playing in Detroit, which just n- neutralizes power in a really upsetting way when you look at some of the players' home away splits play for the Tigers. Uh, Colt Keith is... You know, he has good power, but his exit velocity readings at AAA last year, pretty underwhelming. 
uh, 89 mile per hour average exit velocity, 110 mile per hour max exit velocity, these Nolan Arenado-like exit velocities, which Arenado can get away with because he pulls the ball so much. But I don't know that uh, it'd be so great if he was playing, if he's a left-handed hitter playing in Detroit. And so I'm thinking Colt Keith might be like a Brandon Drury type for fantasy. Could walk a fair amount more. And so maybe that's underselling his potential for points leagues. But that's that's kind of what I'm envisioning for him in Detroit. And that's, you know, provided he's up to the challenge of hitting against major league pitchers every day. I will say Keith does have a pretty pull heavy and fly ball heavy swing. Um, the it's hard to go one for one comparing AAA and you know the majors because we're not using the same data necessarily. But his pull rates last season were forty five percent at both levels, AA and AAA. His fly ball rates weren't like extreme, but they were right around forty percent. He hit more fly balls than ground balls. Um, so I I do think there's some potential for him to be a twenty five homer guy who doesn't hurt you in batting average. The problem is. Drury. Yeah. Yeah. There's just probably not going to be any speed. Who knows about the the offense around him, what that's going to do to counting stats, but I'm willing to move him up to the fringe of the top 20 at third base, just because like once you get past past Max Muncie, it's kind of boring, right? Like I, I, I'd rather take the chance on Colt Keith than Ryan. We have Muncie ranked, but yeah, I mean, once you get past the like Bohm, Muncie, yeah, Berger, Hayes, yeah, yeah, yeah that whole like we're, we're talking the same range. Yeah. I'd rather take the chance on Colt Keith than like Ryan McMahon. Yeah, yeah, or even like Jammer Candelario is a tough one because no, come on, Chris, the the Colt Keith. <laughs> outcome like the optimistic outcome may not look that different from Jamer Candelario so like and Candelario is in the better home park so that that's a tough one but like I think that like 200 ish overall range is probably a a place where I'd feel pretty okay with Colt Keith especially because like it doesn't guarantee he's going to make the opening day roster but this this probably means he's making the opening day roster. Especially when someone like Jeff Passan tweeted it out, like clearly someone in the Tigers organization or his agent or somebody mm-hmm. told Jeff Passan to include that. Like, yeah, likely to be opening day second baseman. Like he didn't just kind of put that in there for nothing. So I, I think it's pretty likely for Colt Keith. If anybody wants to check this out, Fangraphs has a, a unique tool called um, their Steamer 600 projections. It just takes Steamer projections and kind of extrapolates them over 600 plate appearances, gives you an idea what a player, you know, would do if he plays, gets everyday playing time. Uh, Colt Keith in 600 plate appearances projected 261, 17 homers, 70 runs, 70 RBI. So just to kind of throw out what, what they're expecting, what the steamer projections are expecting. Some reliever news, the Rangers signed David Robertson to a one-year deal worth between 11 and $12 million. Robertson turned... Uh, turns 39 years old in April, had a pretty rough go once he was traded over to the Marlins last season, an ERA over 5, 159 whip during that time. He still does have 38 saves over the past two years, is a very well-established reliever at this point. Chris, come to you here on the Rangers bullpen. How are you projecting things here? Do you think it's still Jose LeClerc to start, but he's kind of you know got his head on a swivel with guys like Robertson and Kirby Yates? What do you think with the Rangers? Neither Jose Leclerc nor Kirby Yates seems like such a sure thing that I I want to project either of them to be the closer. So that does kind of push me in the direction of David Robertson. I know he was really, really bad once he got to Miami last year, but he was really, really good overall. I kind of think that baseball gods just lumped all of the Marlins one run success. Just everything that went on the opposite side of the ledger was just on David Robertson's plate. It was a and it was really like it was like a bad two weeks, if I'm remembering correctly, for David Robertson. And then he finally kind of finally settled down. So I think he's probably the best reliever in their bullpen. It's not a particularly good bullpen. If the, the Rangers have one weakness, it's probably the bullpen. So I'm I, I think I'd say he's probably the odds on favorite for well, saves I, I right just now. I feel like I mean, 
Leclerc was the closer that got them to the promised land. He, I, I feel like he's he has to be entering the year with so much confidence from the team right now because he had a bad out. He had one bad outing in the ALCS basically, but otherwise was nails for them throughout the postseason and is a part of the reason they won the World Series. So mm-hmm. I, I think he would enter as the guy. I'm, I don't know that I have the trust in him to keep the job, but that's I, I would draft Leclerc as if he's the closer to start out. I think that's entirely possible. I don't know that the Rangers, per se, have a lot of confidence, Scott, because making moves like this during the offseason... Look at how they used him, though. They used him like an ace reliever throughout the postseason. They did, they, but they, they also... They brought him in at the high-leverage spots, and he mostly came through. They didn't have other well-established you know, relievers with closing experience Chapman. in the past. Yeah, but Chapman was a mess in the playoffs. He was walking yeah. everybody. I don't know. I just he came through. I read I read this as you know bringing in Yates and Robertson as okay. We needed more experience here in case it probably is Leclerc to start. But I think I mean, the leash the Braves is, DFA Kirby. Are we overrating Kirby? Kirby Yates. I, I, Kirby I Yates would say is probably this. not good. But like Robertson still had a three oh three ERA and yeah. a one nineteen WHIP. He, he's pretty good. I think Robertson's very good. The the yeah. one thing I would say is. Even if we project Leclerc as the closer to open the season, it's not a profile where I would say, oh, yeah, this guy's going to remain the closer. You know, he's certainly not someone that, like, I want to invest any kind of draft capital in. Yeah. The cup. I declined Kirby Yates' option. I don't think it was a DFA situation. But anyway. The Cubs signed Hector Neris to a one-year, $9 million deal, and he's coming off a 171 ERA, 105 whip, though his fastball velocity was down 1.4 miles per hour compared to 2022. Neris has 89 career saves. Scott, do you think Neris will factor into the Cubs' closer mix, or is it still Adbert Alzali's job to lose? I mean, I Alzali was really good as the closer last year. I'm a little more worried about this situation at least to start out that um that they might shy away from from Alzali in the ninth inning and and go with Naris because Naris has more closing experience I'm still ranking Alzali ahead but I I think it's I think it's less than a foregone conclusion that he'll be the guy the Mets re-signed Adam Adovino to a one-year, $4.5 million contract. Coming off a solid year, should work as the setup man to Edwin Diaz. The D-backs signed Jock Peterson to a one-year, $9.5 million deal, which includes a mutual option for 2025. Peterson coming off a season where he hit 235 with 15 home runs and a 764 OPS with the Giants was clearly much better the year prior. Can he tap back into that? Not so sure. Still hits the ball really hard for what it's worth. He looks like the strong side platoon as the designated hitter for the D-backs. Chris, uh, is there any possible way that you have interest in Jock Peterson this year? I mean, in like 15-team leagues, he'll give you cheap power. I'm just, I'm smiling because you know who he's replacing, right? (laughs) Tommy Pham, that's right. Yeah. Yep, I, just, I like that. I like that wrinkle. A long history of uh, the fantasy football drama between those two. Uh, one other aspect of this I did want to bring up with signing Jock Peterson, him likely to be the DH, pushes Lourdes Gurriel to left field, keeps Eugenio Suarez at third base. I think it further complicates things for Jordan Lawler to start. Obviously, there are paths here if Geraldo Perdomo struggles or Suarez is just really bad. Like, there are ways for Jordan Lawler to work back in, but. There is another name in the mix, so just kind of keep that in mind, I guess, uh, for Jordan Lawler's 2024. Max Fried told reporters at Braves Fest that he is the healthiest he's been after an injury-riddled 2023 season, entering a contract year, so hopefully he can stay on the field. Max Scherzer hopes to be ready to rejoin the Rangers' rotation by June or July. He had surgery to repair a herniated disc in his back six weeks ago. Jacob deGrom said Saturday that he plans to begin throwing again this spring. He underwent Tommy John surgery in July, which means he likely won't be back until August or September. The A's what are... If, what if there's your Rangers closer for the stretch run? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. How crazy is yeah. it to think the Rangers just won the World Series. They're going to get Jacob deGrom back at some point. There's such a weird team. Max Scherzer they're, back They're in such point. a weird spot. Tyler Malley, they're adding Wyatt Langford. It's... Yeah, it is a mm-hmm. it's a weird. Like, it's so weird because they just won the World Series. Yeah, they're probably b- two best pitchers aren't healthy. 
and we have no idea what to expect from them this season. They're adding two top 10 prospects to their lineup. I mean, one of them was already in the lineup for the postseason run, but like yeah. it's it's a weird yeah. spot. You just look in. at you look at their rotation right now. It looks terrible. Yeah. Because DeGrom and Scherzer aren't a part of it. It's it's bad. Andrew Heaney, third, Dane Dunning, fourth. Roster resource has Cody Bradford in the fifth spot right now. <laughs> uh, something tells me they're probably not done adding to their rotation just yet. The A's are signing Alex Wood. Last year had a 433 ERA, 143 whip. Probably doesn't matter outside of like AL only leagues, but there you go. Alex Wood to the A's. Orioles GM Mike Elias said that the team still views D.L. Hall as a starter long term. Elias added that it's still possible Hall breaks camp as a reliever this season, though. Carlos Carrasco signed a minor league contract with the Guardians with an invitation to Major League Spring Training. And the latest rumors, Big Bob Nightingale reported that the Mariners have quietly entered trade talks for Dylan Cease. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again on Wednesday. Bye-bye. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.